Hi, this is Dr. Otto Janke with the Empire Longevity Podcast. We have us today, a gentleman who is undoubtedly one of the, the most forward-thinking speakers we've had and authors we've ever had on the Empire Longevity Podcast. I'm going to just jump right into this. This is Dr. T. Colin Campbell from Cornell. Dr. Campbell, thank you for being with us today. It's a pleasure. First of all, let's go back in time a little bit. I have to tell you, this book, this book literally changed my life. And it uh, changed my life for a couple of different ways. One is that it opened up my eyes to, to the process of misinformation in nutrition. And this book confirmed it, which, I, by the way, I think everybody should get this book, The China Study. Everybody should get that book. And then you followed up with this book, your new book, The Future of Nutrition. We'll talk about that in a second. You talk about in The Future of Nutrition, about Hoffman and about the cancer and food connection what years has been a connection yes it's been discussed for a long time actually i can make an argument that goes back to biblical times wow yeah with with different different versions of what the answer might be not not consistent sure (laughs) sure let me ask you a question in in, uh was it 86 you spent a year in uh london researching yeah i spent a year at uh, university of oxford and I spent much of that time in uh, four different libraries, two in Oxford, two in London, sort of researching the history of this field in order to try to understand a little bit better why so much controversy, so much confusion, and so much hostility. Can I, I, I can use that word? It's very contentious. It, it just it turns out to, I mean, eating food is a very, I'm sorry about that, is a very personal thing, as you know. So let me, let me ask a question. I've asked this of you previously, and I, I asked this of, of uh, Dr. Goldhammer and Dr. Greger. How, where, where did we go wrong with nutrition? Where, where did it go wrong? It seems it be, should be very, very simple. Where did it all go wrong? Well, I, I like to first define what the word nutrition means. Sure. Because it's used uh, interchangeably with the words food sometimes, right. with the word diet. Basically, I define nutrition, at least that's what I spent my time working on. Nutrition is the, uh, the expression, biological expression of food after we consume it. So it's what's, it, what really what goes on in our bodies. How does our body react to the food we eat? Right. And how does it use that, that material to create health? Right. Or create the wrong food, create disease. And it, so, it does. That, that's central. Seemingly, it's, it's a very foundation, foundational idea, I think, because we don't understand how food really works. Therefore, we can't really be very, very sure of what kind of food we should eat. Correct. Correct. It's, it's really central. You talk about in this book about the confusion of in nutrition. And if, if we can confuse you enough, we can literally get you to eat anything. Precisely correct. And there are some very important players in this game with lots and lots of power. They can do what they want. Uh, literally unchecked also? Pardon? Literally, they are literally unchecked in what they can do? Oh, they uh, are. They're, they're unchecked yeah. in what they can do. Largely. I mean, they, 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 people would dispute that uh, with me. But because we do have regulations, we have regulations to health claims, for example, we have regulations as to how uh, medical medicine should be practiced. Right. I mean, there are a lot of good regulations there. 
but also because the nutrition as a concept is so enormously complex, right. composed of so many different parts, it's hard to know when a particular part being discussed can be discussed in a way as, as, as if it's the answer. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a tricky business to regulate and control. Correct. Correct. So why, why is it, use the word radical, use the word controversial in, in your book, how is it that eating, eating food to get your healthier, how could your idea of eating more plants ever be controversial? Well, I would hope it wouldn't have been controversial, but quite frankly, what we've come to depend on as countries become more affluent with more money, we tend to want to eat animal-based foods for starters. I can understand that because I was raised on a farm Cows, and I came away to graduate school to Cornell University, actually, sort of being educated in the, the advantages of animal protein. That was my doctoral dissertation. So it all fit with my, my story. So that's what we all do. We, we, we tend to give great value to animal food, primarily because of its protein content. Right. So you know, for all the nutrients we talk about these days, I'm going to argue that the single most important nutrient, the almost the driver nutrient that drives dietary change, dietary choice, the driver nutrient is really protein. And by that, I mean animal-based protein. Right, right. That, that's it. And we do some other things. You know, we make claims about it. We get excited about it. People want to consume it. They convince themselves it's absolutely essential you know, they have more of the, even more of the better, if you will. Right. And right. The, the, the private interests on the outside who make a, money, a lot of money on this idea, they kind of want to lead us to believe that we need as much protein as we can get. Right, right. Especially so-called high-quality protein, as is defined, that comes from animals. And so you, you, you don't see a difference between, because we hear this, we hear this touted all the time, as long as it is uh, free range, grass fed, that that's the much, much higher, higher. You know, that's a hard question to answer exactly. Nothing we can answer exactly, I should say, right. for starters. But in any case, it might be a hint, a hint better in, in, in some ways, but only a tiny, tiny fraction of the total effect. I mean, let's say 2%. 3% difference. That's really nothing. The, wow. the big deal is just is eating the, the, the animal flesh itself to get that protein, which in turn, when we do that, the more of that we eat, the less we eat of plant-based material. Right. right. So we end up we hitting, we, we get a combo, you know, not only the animal-based protein and what goes with it. Uh, and we, we give up consuming the things we should be consuming. So we see a so-called singular effect maybe but it's uh, composed of uh, at least two different uh, causal pathways. You know, I love that you talked about the, how in cancer, they talk about it's a, you know, a local, a local disease and there should be treated locally. Although when they give a chemotherapy or radiation, it's a systemic problem that ends up in the body. And why hasn't, why hasn't the idea of even nutrition, even post-cancer for starter, why hasn't that become even greater at use, usage and advantage? Well, nutrition, it turns out, plays a major role right. in whether we get cancer or to begin with, but also should be playing a, a very significant role after we get the disease. 
right? That's generally not recognized as much. We tend to think that nutrition is important in preventing cancer. Right. Well, there's lots of evidence for that. There's no question about that. But what few people really know is the fact that cancer, like other chronic degenerative diseases, can to a great extent be managed by the same food that we eat. Right. I mean, a kind of food that helps us to prevent the disease turns out to be, according to the evidence we now have, the same kind of food that we can use to keep it under control, right. maybe even treat it. Now, we need more research on the cancer field. What, what, what this really has, has been pretty strongly shown is for heart disease and diabetes and the other diseases. We can treat those diseases with this kind of this protocol. And the, uh, the great book by Dr. The Prevention and Cure of, of Cardiovascular Disease. You look at that, the number one and two killers of Americans and why this stuff isn't taught in every single school everywhere of how we should be eating on a regular basis to prevent and possibly cure the number one killer of Americans. Well, that's a major question. Medical schools is not a medical, medical school in the country teaches nutrition number one. If they do offer a few courses, and a few do, maybe they'll claim they'll offer 20, the, the figure is something like uh, 29% of medical schools these days offer up to 25 lecture hours. That's contact hours. That's nothing. Right. And the kind of information that is being offered is the sort of traditional, it's, the, it's not the kind of information I'm talking about. Right. So essentially, doctors are not trained in this kind of nutrition. It's that simple. Right. Right. Uh, and that goes back to the question we were talking about first about, you know, what is nutrition? You know, I, by the way, there's an in-between book you, you didn't mention. China Studies First, yes. Yes. Uh, and then this recent one, but in-between was a book I had called Whole. Yes. Yeah, W-H-O-L-E. Yep. In that one, I'm describing what I'm about to say here, namely that nutrition is, is the effect, is comprised of all the nutrients working together in a given food. Right. You know, each, of, each nutrient of which is working with a whole host of different mechanisms. And at the end of the day, preventing a whole host, a whole range of different kinds of diseases. So what happens in medicine is that we tend to, and I should also have to say in my own profession, my, the science research area too, we tend to focus on one nutrient at a time. One chemical, if I may say so, one chemical. We tend to focus on one mechanism by which it works. We tend to focus on one outcome, like one kind of disease, cancer. But even further, we like to talk about one kind of cancer, not all of them. Right. So we always are getting so, so specific about this, this idea. And when we do that, that is the, that's the wellspring of enormous confusion, because that's not the way nutrition really works. It works all these nutrients in a given food, and I'm talking about plant food in this case, all those nutrients actually work together right. in really marvelous ways, almost like a symphony. It is, it's amazing. And the body has this, the body is the engineer in this case, and it really keeps this under, under control as long as it has the right resources to work with. And so what happens in medicine, rather than think, think about the concept of whole, they think about targeted, targeted drug effects. Right, right. They're looking for a specific mechanism to explain a particular effect, right? The way the research works, and then once finding it, they, in the case of treatment, they find, want to try to find a particular chemical, 
a drug, if you will, become to, to treat that mechanism, hopefully to control the disease. And what we end up, at the end of the day, what we see in some cases, we see a little bit of effect maybe, but it's not very significant and it has a lot of side effects, by the way. Yep. It's certainly not a lifestyle sort of program. Uh, whereas if we're eating the whole food, just forget about the targeted drug therapy kind of, I just eat the whole food. Right. Get, right. get let mother nature take over. Yep. And decide what to do with it. That's, that's why there's so much confusion. And that's why the medical industry does not want, or the ed- medical education industry does not want to teach this kind of nutrition because it really undercuts almost everything they do. Right. They're doing a lot of good things. I don't mean to say that. Right. But, but what I do mean to say is that yeah, they're leaving out in their practice the single most important thing of all. You, you showed at, you spoke for us in 2018 and you had a slide, which I took a picture of, a, just a, a, a small part of the number of chemical reactions that go on during, during digestion. And you pointed out, you had, a, you had your laser and you pointed out this one right here. And that was the one for cholesterol. And you said, that is the one where the medication is going to go and stop the cholesterol, interrupt the cholesterol, while we're, we're missing all these thousands of other reactions going on at one time. And you That's said right. the, the idiocy of thinking you could change your whole possible of, of that one reaction there when we've got these other thousands going on at the time. Was that was a light bulb going off in my head at that time, and I went like this: "We we've got this so so stupidly wrong. It's incredible." Fantastic! You just said that so well. I'm I'm happy you picked up on that. Yeah, awesome, absolutely awesome. Let me ask you a question: when you when you were writing this book, I learned a lot from this. But what did you learn by writing the book? Well, I was you know all three books that I've written, and then particularly maybe the last one. I've become frustrated at times <laughs> with a lack of progress. And, you know, and I, I've gotten a lot of pushback and it's gotten really nasty at times, professionally and really ridiculous. And that's what, that was the major reason I wanted to do all the history on this thing. Yep. And so back in 1985-86, and finally this third book, to answer your question, I decided to just try to understand, not only repeat again what I thought we learned, and then share some ideas, too, of the mistakes that we made that we can call myths or mythology to illustrate how we went wrong, if you will, with examples. And then try to think through, well, okay, now here's the, here's the situation. We've got this fantastic effect. It really is a fantastic effect. And we're not somehow not adopting it. Not enough people are really getting to really, really understand that. Right. Where are we going with that? So I, I wrote the book for that reason. But also with a particular focus, too, on some of the authorities that I've had to deal with. In fact, I've been supposedly one of those authorities at times. I mean, I was in national panels, so-called expert panels, helping to develop national guidelines and stuff like that. I've seen what's, what it's like behind the curtain. As, uh, behind the curtain, is it, uh, is it the Wizard of Oz or is it just a guy pulling some, some handles back? That's a group of guys. It's a team. It's a team and they work together. Yep. Yep. You talked about, you talk about Hoffman a lot in, in this book and the amount of information, which has been not just 
I don't know, covered up, the amount of information that's been covered up about the power of nutrition. And if more people, and the basis of nutrition now is not based necessarily on what the science has shown for hundreds of years. That's right. That gives me an opportunity to mention, incidentally, my two main thoughts as far as good nutrition is concerned. Number one, eat whole food. Absolutely. You know, all, all of it together. We talked just about that. The second is avoid animal protein. We don't need animal protein. We can get all the protein we need from plant foods. Those two simple ideas alone, all by themselves, is, is a, you know, that will carry us a long way to get to wherever we want to be. And when I say whole food, that also suggests, too, that we should minimize or avoid, if, not, if we can, avoid added oil, refined sugars, too much salt. I mean, those are all good things, you know, when they're part of whole food. But when we take them out, this is particularly uh, true with uh, added oils. Yes. Because added oils are pro-inflammatory for the most part. And so they only promote disease rather than helping prevent. So we eat the whole food. We keep set that aside, keep that under control. Two things, avoid animal food, eat whole food, just that. Pretty, pretty simple. I've always forgotten the question now that you just asked me, but well, let me let me let's go on that right now because let's 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 be real straight about those those two parts aren't real sexy. I mean, you you aren't going to have that. That's not a really sexy thing to eat. I'm just going to eat whole foods and not eat animals. It's just it's not as sexy. I can't get around that whole thing. I can't have a drive of this and and the simplicity of that is probably it's incredible. Just I'm going to eat all this stuff in the produce section. That's right. That's right. I, I uh, have had some personal experience with that, that uh, transition, if you will, obviously yep. coming from a farm, my wife and I, and, and uh, she too. I mean, what, what, what really happened, I was learning this over the years. And finally, when we're, I was about at that time, late forties, early fifties, I started taking this a little more serious. She's seven y- younger than I, so we kind of worked together on that. She, she just uh, tried to change our diet our food and all she's a fantastic cook we had five children now grown we've got 11 grandchildren so we the whole family got caught up in this and so we did it you know we all did it 100 percent. but the question arises that you just referred to is how can people get onto this and use it yeah i think that's what you're sort of saying and yeah. I, i've given a lot of thought when we did it over a period of time and for my wife and i i guess it was about 10 years from our first start and what he, he and I think the thing that I'm reminded of is the fact that when people are just out of the clear blue, okay, I'm gonna change. I, I get right. excited, I'm gonna change. They they might stay with it a day or two, a week or two, I don't know, something like that. And they just can't quite take it because all those cases most of those cases they revert back to what they were doing before. Yep. Yep. The, the drawback is too too strong. But here's what people need to know, I think. If they can stay with it. For at least a month, maybe two, their taste preferences change. Much. That is key. And when our taste preferences change, it doesn't change just overnight. But but when when the, the taste preferences change, all of a sudden, you know, we crave the salad. Yes. Yes. And and our bodies are is, are reacting in that case and and enjoying the benefit. And there you have it. I so. And I don't think people know that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Yes. The tunnel is a little bit longer than they what anticipated. You know, it's going to take some uh, willpower uh, and usually take a team effort, like, you know, a man or wife. 
it's yep. hard to, <laughs> it's hard for one to draw pull in one direction and, I have to tell you that it took me it took me a good year, probably a year and a half to get uh, fully on uh, on board. But I I was forced to discover new spices and new ways of cooking. I just matter of fact, um, you put out on Sunday from on your website about a, a potato salad. And the potato salads I had before were boring things with a whole bunch of mayonnaise on them and stuff. I put in three different types of potatoes along with the kale, along with this stuff. Can I tell you something? delicious, super easy to make and delicious. But this type of eating has made me, has forced me to discover all this, you know, as you said, we get in this, in this habit, this rut of having just this thing, this thing, and this thing. And I had to look at this whole other area they call the produce section of a grocery store. And I had, I got, I get to eat those things also. And it has opened up my, my world to different spices, different foods, and uh, just fantastic stuff. You know, you just touched on a really important point, I think. Namely, I like to say that when we're focused on the basic science, which is, of course, my territory, and once we get there and we just settle on this very simple idea, eating plant foods, whole foods, you know, that allows us then to retain in our various cultures the different ethnic cuisines. Yes. Which are distinguished by what you just said you know, the flavors, the spices and herbs and so forth and so on. So we can have, still have the, have the joy of eating Chinese food, Indian food, African, whatever. And, and wherever we are in the world, those foods can still be consumed as pretty much as the way they like them. And so there's a lot of new tastes that we in, here in this country haven't necessarily become aware of. We do to some extent, of course, but yeah, there's a lot of great spices and flavors and it's good stuff that really enhance the, uh, enhance the, the just getting the pleasure of having that kind of food. You know, I, I'm, I'm from Cortland. So I'm from, you know, I'm a, I'm a white guy from upstate New York. And my biggest spice growing up was if I was going to have a mild or hot chicken wing. And that was my, you know, that was my, my extent of my spices. And now in the last uh, year, I've never bought more cumin, coriander, and I, I couldn't even tell you what other. I'm buying coriander. I had no idea what coriander was until two years ago. I'm eating this stuff like it's out of style. A couple of years ago, I did a talk for Cortland High School uh, District, uh, school district, and I showed what the recommendations were for children growing up. Then I showed the the breakfast plan that New York State has for kids in school and they were totally different totally different how can we get our kids how can we get our kids to be eating much more plant-based because you 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 dive into this and get them off of those the chicken mcnuggets and stuff like that was just, just slowly deteriorating that's where the this so-called systemic power really exists it's a good example the school lunch program for example is largely controlled by the United States Department of Agriculture, USDA, who sets the dietary guidelines, okay? Schools adopt this program with one condition, that they offer the dairy option. Right. You know, they, they can't, they don't insist that all the kids have to drink it, obviously, but it has to be there. Right. Uh, so, and that's the only way they participate. It kind of sets a tone. Uh, essentially for what we have been doing for the last few decades in the school lunch program. Now, there are some places around that are showing more initiative 
ingenuity about things. I think here in Tompkins County in Ithaca, just learned yesterday who's in charge of that. And they do have an option for children to use that. That's been a tough road to hoe. It really has, because when you start talking about kids eating the right kind of food, then you're taken away from the corporate interests, what they'd like to have the kids consider eating. And it's a a political, big political. Yeah, there's there's no possible way. And I was looking at what the uh, food programs were. There's no possible way someone who's concerned about the health of a child would make those plans. It was undoubtedly someone who's concerned about dollars and cents much more than they were about about nutrients. Absolutely. More about wealth instead of health. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. How did we, first of all, the question, the next question I have for you is, you were talking about the correlation between food and, and cancer. And hundreds of years ago, talking about the possibility, maybe in biblical times of being there, a origin of the information that goes along with that. If I'm going to talk to us, and you're going to be talking to us about the longevity of eating, what are the steps we can take how can we get into the program and what's going to be the best way for us to do this? Well, it's a team effort, as I've already inferred. I mean, uh, we're t- if we're talking about families, you know, both parents need to really be on board with this. And of course, they have children and obviously they want to get their children involved. And, and, and that they never can start to, I mean, breastfeeding, let's, let's start with that. Breastfeeding is essential. It really is. Right. But that's, what na- that's nature at work kind of sets the pattern. We, we did work on that idea a little bit because if things aren't exactly right at that time, during pregnancy, during the nursing period, and if they're offered the wrong thing, it tends to, to lead to a phenomenon that we call imprinting. Yes. It can leave a mark. Yes. There's some evidence on that. Leave a mark that may be retained later in life to some extent. So it's important to start out early. And then, of course, the kids get into it, and then their their taste preferences are established, and they tend to, they tend to stay with it. Yep. My wife's been very good about that, and of course, encouraging our our kids. You know, so our grandchildren have had a chance to sort of learn this more or less from day zero, and they're all they're all with it. They don't they don't one one much slid, slid a little bit, but not just for. You know, I was uh, always amazed that I can sit down and have one apple and my body says, we're good. We don't need another apple. But if you can have a whole sleeve or a whole bag of potato chips and your body says, hey, how about we have another bag of potato chips somewhere? Yep. And the amount of what trickery, food trickery, taste bud trickery and confusion that goes along with that is absolutely astounding. And it's what costing us billions of dollars a year salt sugar and fat or salt sugar and oil those three substances are addictive we actually have scientific physiological evidence to show that the so-called dopamine serotonin complex in our brain oh yeah is modified you know when we eat that kind of thing when we when we we find them pleasurable and we can see some physiological changes that describe that phenomenon and it's hard to get rid of that. It kind of hangs around. Uh, that's just the way it is. It's, uh, we're, we're kind of wired that way. Well, I talked with Dr. Alan Goldhammer about that, the uh, SOS, uh, cutting out the SOS uh, out of your diet. And he talked about the drug addicts. Drug, drug addicts are never happy. They might, might find pleasure, but they're never happy. And uh, yeah. 
we're all drug addicts. You know, the vast majority of Americans are drug addicts, but it's done with food and, and not with illegal chemicals on the streets. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, again, Dr. T. Colin Campbell is going to be speaking for us uh, September 11th in Homer, New York at the symposium. We're going to have copies of this book for uh, purchase there. I'd recommend you purchase one. He has offered to be autographing them. And if you're going to buy, just buy two of them. I would buy, get one of each. This book has sent me on a whole different other way, showing me once again, so much more work has to be done in understanding food. What I truly appreciate you about you, Dr. Campbell, is the simplicity of your message and how powerful it is. Eat more plants, make a whole food and decrease and eliminate the uh, animal proteins. So simple. And I appreciate your insight into all that. I'm delighted that you uh, see the simplicity because it really is. If we're going to get the message across to the people, it's got to be, it's got to be something they can remember easily. So, so simple, knowing that everything you've ever needed is in the produce section right there. You really need to go no farther, maybe in the spice section to get some other stuff. But besides that, it's simple. And I have to tell you that uh, my body works better. I think better, I move better, I digest better, I, I, I repair better because of eating a certain way. Let's talk about, let's get let's get a little controversial right now. One of the hottest things right now in nutrition or eat, I don't want to say nutrition, in eating is eating an animal from head to Yes, and all the parts that it uh, provides, like eggs and milk and so forth. Everything. And where do those, where do the people, knowing, knowing that fiber is a fundamental aspect and fiber pushes the train along and it's so fundamental for us, where do, where does everybody get their fiber then if you're going to be eating the animal from head to toe? You know, this is part of me too, is it's kind of personal in a way, because I also came from that culture like everyone else and and uh, was uh, milking cows, you know, up until the time I went away to graduate school and I also was a hunter. Yep. I fished. I actually trapped fur-bearing animals, believe it or not. So I, I came from, you know, that's who I was. I mean, farm boys do that. Yep. Just, just yep. that simple. And so for me to sort of real, run into this information, it suggests that, hey, maybe this not might be right, especially regarding animal protein. It was, it was a challenge. Right. Especially when I started, started getting the pushback I got. Yep. So it made me think hard, you know, about, you know, how to make some of this transition. Yep. How to contest the uh, argument against the idea. Right. I've heard everything. I've heard everything. I, I have no doubt. And so. so I, I, I look for the, I look for the research on the correlation of eating animal proteins and cancer. And there is a number of studies. I've not found the studies that show eating a whole food plant-based diet leads to why, why, why we, we, we have to weigh these things out? I don't know why we have to weigh this out at all. You know, I wish I could show you a chart. This is really interesting. More recently, I've really become trying to focus my, my thoughts on, on protein, by the way. You know, why did we get so caught up in that? Why, right. why did we end up really idolizing protein, almost worship that nutrient in a sense? Yep. And, and, and one way to describe what to, to draw something from what you just said I went back into some of the literature. I sort of knew this from before, but I, I collected it together. It turns out if you have a, gra a graph, a graph with an X, Y axis, of course, and then you plot on that graph the rate of disease, usually as a rate of mortality, disease yep. mortality on, let's say, the Y axis. And then on the X axis, you've got increasing levels of 
increasing consumption of animal protein, just animal protein, which reflects, as I said, not just the effects of animal protein, but reflects all the other things going on, okay? Right. I'm using that as, a, as an indicator. If we do that kind of graph, it's really amazing. This, these kind of graphs have been around for a while, but they've been misused and misunderstood. I've got a number of graphs right now where that line for different countries is a regression line, comes right straight down really beautifully, right straight down as you decrease animal protein, less and less and less, less disease, and the line goes right through the XY origin, huh. which in theory says, hey, as soon as we start eating some animal food, we can expect to get some risks you know, for those diseases. Right. More risk for some than for others, obviously. But nonetheless, we got a straight line. That straight line exists for uterine cancer, colon cancer, prostate cancer, heart disease, stroke, diabetes, less so, osteoporosis, you name it. And, right. and as you look at those graphs, it turns out that those researchers who were, because of the reductionist idea that they've sort of been living in in that world, they, they tend to publish not just the relationship with animal protein. What they end up using is what we call a surrogate measure for animal protein. Like looking at the relationship, to give an example, the relationship between skim milk intake and prostate cancer. Beautiful graph, right straight down. And, and skim milk, it doesn't have any of the fat in it. Right. That's like a protein drink. Right. So we can just, you know, change the, change the letter. I mean, same, change the words. So it's, it's a protein, animal protein effect. But at the time they did that, they didn't discuss it in that context. They discussed it in the context of skim milk. At least those authors did. Right. Somebody else did all kinds of studies talking about saturated fat. They didn't talk about it as animal protein, but again, it was a surrogate for animal protein. Right. So, so what, I've gone, what I've done is going back and collecting some of these kind of charts. And you sit back and you look at that. You, you talked to me before about that chart I was showing about all the different reactions. Yes. You look at a series of all these charts laying one side by side. And you say, holy smoly. Every single one of them shows as soon as we start putting animal protein in the diet, we got a host of disease outcomes we've got to start thinking about. And it's published. It's been around for a while. 30, 40, 50 years old. Yeah, you don't mean five or 10, five or 10 years, do you? No, I don't. And so, and then you start adding that kind of information and combining it with other kinds of information that we like that we like to get involved in in science, you know, the way it works, yes. the mechanism by which it works, for example, the trend lines of what happens if people are on this kind of diet, then all of a sudden they switch. What happens then? You know, these kind of different ways of looking at data. And it turns out, that every which way we look at it, we get the same answer. I, I wish we, I, I get frustrated at times. You ask me about why did I write the last book. I, I have to find, figure out some way to try to translate this information right. into a level where people are going to share my enthusiasm, I guess. I mean, I get enthusiastic about it. I'm on the bandwagon along with you. You know, I had a discussion with one of my, I'm coming up on my 40th high school reunion soon. And I had one of my friends who was, was talking to me about this. And he says, you don't eat, you don't eat meters. I, I said, no, I, I said, and I make it, I don't think it's a big thing anymore. I just, he goes, what you don't, I, he goes, you don't look, I said, well, you know, I do what I, you know, I, I eat well, I, I exercise a lot. I, I take care of myself. He said, well, you know, we ate a lot of meat and stuff growing up and we turned out okay. 
as if, you know, my generation did. And I said, I said, be frank with you on Dr. Campbell. I said, I looked at my buddy. I said, well, you're full of shit. And he said, <laughs> why is that? I said, we, with the average American, Kaiser Permanente came out with a study a short time ago that said the average American, average, every single American is averaging 17 prescriptions a year, filling seven. I said, we are not okay. We're not okay. I said, our life expectancy hasn't, has actually decreased as you've shown. And our health expectancy is rocketing low, rocketing low. I said, we're not okay. Stop bullshitting yourself. And he looked at me and went like, well, I'm still going to have a burger. And it's like, well, okay, whatever, you know. So the frustrating aspects of all of that. Yeah, I wish I uh, could have taken that little recording, made a little recording of what you said to show that around. That, that's, that's perfect. That's perfect. On, on the top of it, you know, we rely on drugs as a means of treating disease, hopefully reversing them, and usually it doesn't. All we're doing is treating symptoms for the most part. Right. Right, and and we're and we're spending a lot of money for that kind of pro- approach, and on top of it, the side effects from all these drugs is, is, is according to one calculation, the third, another according to the four, third or fourth leading cause of death in this country. Yes, yes. that's staggering. Yes, it was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association the first time, and the CDC will not even look at it. Correct, correct. This is Dr. T. Colin Campbell. He's going to be our keynote speaker September 11th in Homer, New York, the metro area of Homer, New York. Probably what the shortest time or shortest area or shortest mileage you have to put on to become a keynote speaker is when you come to uh, Homer for. Yeah, I've done one in Beijing, one in uh, Argentina. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how many times have you, how many times you've spoken around the world? You've been for over 50. How many, how many times you've Oh my gosh, not during the last year, but I don't know. I, I've been to 60 some countries, I believe. You know, the China study itself has been translated now into 50, at least 50 foreign languages. Wow. It's, it's a record. I understand it's a world record. And so I, I do a lot of virtual lectures. And yeah, one time, as I say, I'm talking to South America, another time it's Africa or Australia, wherever. It's caught on. It's, around, it's, it's quite amazing. This is this is the, this is the time. Is it's it's obvious to us the simplicity of the idea of we have to take control of our own. This is one of the most simple things we can do. You know, I talk about the aspects of uh, longevity. One is we have to get up and get moving on a regular basis. Two is we eat rocket fuel. We don't talk about nutrition. We talk about rocket fuel. If you want to go to Mars, you don't put anything in there. You put rocket fuel into rockets. This is the simplest thing we can do is start eating more plants. Eat more plants, and I think you'll naturally just decrease everything else because your body says, thank you. I'm going to, I'm going to digest better. I'm going, to, I'm going to go to the bathroom better. I'm going to sleep better. I'm going to rest better, repair better, think better. All these different things. It's so simple. I think, Dr. Campbell, this is the time and this is the place, and you're the man to do the job. Well, thank you very much. I, I, I like talking about this because it's easy. I, I believe it. Absolutely. Again, uh, September 11th in Homer, New York for the Empire Longevity Symposium. Dr. Campbell will be our keynote speaker in the morning. Uh, we're going to have copies of this book there. I would recommend, as I have done, I've read this twice. I've listened to it twice. I'd recommend you get a copy of this because one of the unique things we have at the symposium is we have a Q&A. And Dr. Campbell has taken the time to answer questions for us in the past, and he's going to answer questions about both of these. Dr. Campbell, I truly appreciate your time, your insight, your love, your, your piss and your vinegar about all this also. But I appreciate your time and your, and your expertise, and I look forward to speaking with you again very, very soon. Fantastic. Look forward to it. Thank you so much. Thank you.